This week I had two separate opportunities to answer the question, what led you to plant a church? And it's an interesting question to me, like, um, on a number of different levels, but I always have, like, an elevator pitch ready to go. And it goes something like this. There's a real spiritual battle going on for the hearts and minds of people in Northeast Philadelphia. We believe the best way to address that is through evangelism and discipleship, and the best way to do evangelism and discipleship for us is to plant a church. But really, the answer is bigger and deeper than that. Why do Christians plant churches? Why do we do it? Why spend Saturday as a leadership team trying to figure out what God wants to do with our church this year? To plan it out. To do it. Because it's one way to follow Jesus on mission into the world. And whether you like it or not, or whether you realize it or not, you're part of a church plant. means you're a church planter. And you will be, if all stats, go, or if stats are correct, for t- 10 years. So we got like six and a half more years of church planting. See, Amanda and I, we're, f- we're both from Northeast Philadelphia. Amanda grew up in Somerton. I grew up in Longcrest. And at some point, we wanted to buy a home. And I was working at a local university at the time, and uh, at the time they were having me live with the students, uh, which is an adventure, and it's a good time, and it's well worth it. But it, I got a promotion. I had to move out of the residence hall with the students and had to move out on my own. So we need to buy a house in the Philly area, and we were committed to not buy a house in Northeast Philadelphia, or so I thought, because God in his providence, had us buy a house where? Northeast Philadelphia. And I would like to say some of that's like budget, like we didn't have the budget to buy a house anywhere else, but it wasn't. If you ever bought a house, you know, you know that feeling where you walk in and you go, this is home. So I asked God for months because I was really confused why this happened. I said, God, Why? Why did you have us move to Northeast Philadelphia? And I prayed that prayer for months because I was super confused. Why would you have us do this? I told you I didn't want to do this. Why am I here? And I felt God say to me at one point, I want you to plant a church here. And in many ways, through those conversations with the Lord, it was, Evan, you're a kid from Northeast Philadelphia. If it's not you, who else will do it? And I said, okay, God. And my relationship with God is kind of funny. It's like, like a sibling rivalry, funny, where like the older brother is always going to win the fights, but you still, the little brother, myself, still tries to fight the older brother. So I said, God, like, look, listen, that's really good. That's cool. You want me to plant a church here? Here's the deal. You're going to have to tell Amanda that we're going to plant a church here. Because I planted a church before, and it wasn't a great experience for her. So I'm not going to tell her. You need to tell her. And so one day about uh, some months later, we're driving home from the church we're attending, and Amanda asked me, hey, have you ever thought about planning a church again? And I said, funny you would say that. (laughs) I've been praying about that for about six months. And I told God if he was telling me to plant a church, he needed to tell you that we should plant a church. 
And so I'm going to take this as a sign that God wants us to plant a church. So, and to make a long story short, we jumped into the Liberty Community of Churches and we gathered together for one Bible study in, in my living room in January 2017. It was just us and four other adults and that kind of grew and multiplied in the two Bible studies. And Amanda and I, along with a core group of committed people who love Jesus and love the gospel, launched Liberty Northeast in January 2019. And the rest is history, a short history, but it's a history. And here's why I tell you this story. There's a different calling on the life of Christians than anyone else. Jesus calls us to himself and he frees us through his life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. And we're freed in the gospel to love God through worship, love each other in community, and love our neighbor in mercy. And if you ever try to do any of those things, you know it's different than how everybody else does things. First off, everybody else sleeps on Sunday morning or goes to brunch and we're here. Not the best hobby in the world if it's not true. Like if this isn't real, I'm not waking up on Sunday mornings anymore, guys. I'm going to brunch. Or community to love God. I'm sorry, love each other in community. In a world that is fixated on tribalism, like we only hang out with the people that we're, we look alike and we act alike and we believe alike and vote like, we say, hey, why don't we just get everybody together, all these broken, sinful people, and actually like get to know each other and talk to each other and love each other. Or love for your neighbor. And if you know if you've ever had a neighbor who's really difficult or someone in your block who's really difficult, God says, your calling's different. You're supposed to love that person. And when he calls us, we leave everything behind and we turn our lives upside down to be his disciples who make disciples. And one of the wildest, craziest, gnarliest ways that we respond to the call of Jesus to go into the world and plant a church in a place where there wasn't one. And the devil doesn't like that. He doesn't like us starting things gospel-related in places he has a hold on. But I want us to understand today as we close out this series, before we move into a series next week on renewal, is that the gospel frees us to love our world by planting churches. And I'd like us to focus on this one verse, Matthew 4, 19. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So I want to look at the command, which is to follow me, the promise, and I will make you, and the result, fishers of men. So first, let's look at the command, follow me. Jesus commands us to follow him into the world. So teenagers, young people, in first century Palestine, Israel was awaiting God's coming. And when God would come, the belief was that he would destroy their oppressors, which were the Romans. So that's what God would do. And then he would set up his kingdom or his rule on earth as it is in heaven. So we just prayed that prayer. That's why we pray that. Is that God would set up his rule on earth as it is in heaven. And when God did that, he would have victory over sin and death. And then what he would do is vindicate, lift up, put on a pedestal the true Israel. The righteous. So what was happening in first century Palestine in Israel, what the Israelites were doing, they were arguing about who was the true Israel. And so there was three approaches to this. First approach is the withdrawal. 
withdraw from Roman culture and run off to the desert. And that's what the Essenes did. If you know about the Dead Sea Scrolls, those are the people who wrote Dead Sea Scrolls. They run off to the desert, get away from everybody, and they figured, well, when God comes back, he's going to see that we left culture, left it behind, Amish-like, remove ourselves, and God, when he comes, he's going to say, good job, guys. You're the true Israel. And then there was compromise, which is what the Sadducees do. It's not just a fun kid's joke about they were sad, you see. Right? They're Sadducees. They're a group of people who received power from the Romans. They kind of had the idea, like, you can't beat them, join them. So we have all this political power. Now, some of you need to listen to this. We have this political power from the Romans. And we have control over the temple. So let's embrace the Romans. And when God comes back, God's going to say, hey, good job. This was my way of bringing about my kingdom. And good job, guys. Sadducees, you're the true Israel. And then there's resistance. First was the zealots. They're a fun group of people to hang out with. Their idea was, hey, if you can't beat them, at least kill as many as you can. So what they did is they're like, we're going to kill as many Romans as we can. So when God comes, he's going to see all the bodies behind us and go, good job, zealots. Good job. Which is interesting that Jesus calls a zealot, Simon the zealot, to be one of his disciples. Turns his life upside down. A whole different way of approaching the world. Put the sword down and follow me. And then Pharisees who sometimes work with the zealots, even though they really tried to pretend like they didn't. They would see themselves as the true Israel because they kept all the rules. They would keep all these rules, and Jesus kept the rules too. Jesus went to the temple too. Jesus offered sacrifices too. It's not that Jesus wasn't religious. He was. But they added all these extra things to it, extra things that God did not require, so that when God came back, he would go, oh, look at you guys. You guys really went the extra mile. Good job. True Israel. And Jesus, what Jesus does, he rejects all three of these ways. All three of these ways of bringing about God's kingdom and setting up the true Israel. Jesus, in Matthew, gets baptized by John the Baptist, And he's tempted in the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights, by Satan. And then he begins his ministry this way in 417. A couple verses before what we read. One verse before. From that time, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what does Jesus mean based on what I just said? Jesus means the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. God's rule on earth is is in heaven. That's what the kingdom is. God's rule on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying repent from your sin, yes. But he's also saying repent from your ways to try to bring about God's kingdom. And your ways of being the true Israel and follow me and mine. All other agendas, turn from them. Leave them behind and follow mine. So Simon the Zealot, leave your sword behind. Paul the Pharisee, leave all these crushing rules behind. And follow me. And so when Jesus calls his disciples, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, the first ones, to be his disciples and follow him, he's commanding them to follow him on mission to be the true Israel 
focused around him and bring about God's rule on earth. And how do they do that? Through worship, community, and mercy. By loving God, by loving those who are close to them, and loving the world around them. And he freed everyone, and he frees everyone who follows him from sin so that they be able to do it too. Because it's him who calls, and it's him we follow. So church planning on its most basic level is responding obediently to Jesus' command to follow him into the world, to join him in the bringing about God's rule on earth as it is in heaven, specifically in places that need it. So it can't be our agenda. It can't be our way. It must be his agenda, his way, because he builds and he watches over it and he sustains it. So Psalm 127, 1 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, who build it, labor in vain. Unless Jesus does it, this thing we're doing here, there's no point. So it has to be his way. It has to be his agenda. It can't be ours, and it can't be anybody else's. So I don't care what you're hearing in the world. I don't care what you're hearing on social media. I don't care what you're hearing on podcasts about what the church should be about. If it's not Jesus' way, we're not about it. And we can't be about it. And I'm tired of these people telling us what we're supposed to be about. Jesus tells me what I'm supposed to be about. Jesus tells us what we're supposed to be about. And it's to worship God, to love each other, and to love our world. And Jesus leads and we follow. And right now he gathers us and he sends us out from this spot, from the corner of Byberry and Barnaby. And we follow him wherever he goes. So if Jesus commands us to move, we follow. Some of you did that, right? From Bible study to Klein life, to Klein life to here. If Jesus says go, we go. If our home meetings are busting at the seams, and he commands us to multiply them. I know we all love each other. I know we don't want to leave each other, but for the mission of Jesus, we do it. If he commands us to care for the poor or to sign up for Grow ESL and care for immigrants. Guys, one in five people in Northeast Philadelphia are born outside the United States. Do you know how hard that is to adjust to life here? John's absolutely right. I heard in his voice, and I heard his heart right there. If Jesus tells us to do it, we do it. It doesn't matter if it's inconvenient, we do it. We follow. If he brings growth and we need to plant another church, we do it. We follow. We follow. We don't lead. Jesus does. And it can seem nerve-wracking and scary, but it's only so if Jesus isn't worth it. And he is, and the disciples see that. They see this man is worth it. I'm going to drop everything to follow him. And what does Jesus do? He promises them something. Look at the promise. It says, and I will make you. Jesus promises to transform us into what he needs us to be when we follow him. This week I saw one of you share a quote on Instagram that said, I would rather be a million pieces at his feet than a million miles from his presence. And I responded to that person. I said, yo, that is so good. And I promised to steal it. So here's me stealing it. 
I would rather be a million places at his feet than a million miles from his presence. Jesus only transforms broken people. The people who are torn apart in pieces. Why? Because broken people are all that there are. Listen to who Jesus promises to transform. Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, Come to me all who are what? Weary and heavy laden. Not everybody who figured it out. If you're beat up by life, if you're tired and exhausted, I'm calling you. Come to me. In Matthew, in Luke 14, Jesus tells a parable. And in the parable, he says, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring who? The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Notice it's not the rich or the powerful or the privileged. It's these people who are broken. And Jesus knows we're all broken because in Mark chapter 2, he says that those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And we keep going. Right, a poor, dirty, poor, like worthless teenage girl is entrusted to carry him in her womb. Smelly shepherds are the first people to hear his announcement of the announcement of his birth, and his first disciples are fishermen. One of his later disciples, Paul, spends time locking up Christians and killing Christians. It doesn't get much more broken than that. But Jesus transforms the broken because the broken are all that there are. Like, I know many of your stories in my own story. I know life has broken you into millions of pieces. I know you have experienced or are experiencing abuse, trauma, divorce, separation, abandonment. Some of you are fighting addictions. Some of you have had abortions. Some of you suffer from mental illness or physical illness, or you're just caught in cycles of sin. You're broken in a million pieces, but Jesus says, I want you. I command you, as broken as you are, to follow me. And he will make you what you need to be. Think about this. Jesus knows more about you than you know about you. And this command and promise are still given to you. So you don't need to be perfect. In fact, Jesus out at you on the cross. He knows you're not perfect. Otherwise, he wouldn't have to die for you. And guess what? We all know you're not perfect too. Because otherwise, he wouldn't have to die for you. So none of us is perfect, so let's stop acting like we are. We're broken, and that's okay. Jesus wants to transform broken people. We just need to admit that we're broken and be willing to be used and allow him to take us as broken as we are and watch him transform us by taking one piece at a time and making us into what he desires us to be. I know many of you want to be delivered, and I pray that for you too. But transformation is usually slow. It takes a lot of time. Sanctification is slow. And I don't know why Jesus takes time, but he usually does. But like a massive pile of Legos, he takes one piece at a time and he builds us into something bigger and better. So be patient. And be patient with each other. The first disciples weren't finished products. 
They weren't perfect, but they left everything to answer the call to follow Jesus, and he transformed them as he promised to do into great apostles of our faith. You've heard of Peter. You've heard of James and John. You've heard of Andrew. Why? Because Jesus transformed them. He made them into something great. See, church planting is one of those things Jesus uses to transform us. So we don't wait to be a finished product or have it all figured it out before we jump in. Jesus sees our brokenness and he says, follow me. I will make you what I need you to be. And one other thing, Jesus was enough for the disciples. They had no idea what Jesus was calling them into. They had no idea the pain and the glory that would come with following Jesus. But you know what? He was enough. So they left everything and followed him. So is Jesus enough for you? When you see Jesus in worship on Sundays or in community in your home meetings or in mercy serving here on Sundays or doing outreach, whatever it is, is his presence all you need? You say, I don't care what the world has given me. I can't even think about that right now, because, but Jesus is enough. I don't care about my experiences. I can't think about my history. I can't even, I don't even want to talk about with a counselor about the abuse and the trauma and the difficulty I've experienced in my life. But Jesus is enough. And if Jesus isn't enough for you, if he doesn't captivate you, and you're not willing to leave everything to follow him, you're never going to experience the satisfaction that comes from being broken into a million pieces and being transformed at his feet. Jesus must be enough if we're going to be transformed from spectators to be people playing on the field. Jim is right. One of the holy days of the Philadelphia calendar is the first Eagles game of the year. And Philly fans, we get a bad rap around the country. We really do. And I have friends from around the country like, yo, what's up with you guys? Like, why do you boo all the time? Why are you so upset with everybody? Like, why can't you just be more supportive? And And I always say something like this. I say, look, Philadelphia is a blue collar city. Dudes work their fingers to the bones at their jobs and they expect the same thing from their teams. Guys who are playing games for money. Because any one of those guys, any one of those union laborers who wakes up or any one of those plumbers who wakes up on Monday morning, if Friday they got the call, they would leave everything behind and they would jump on that field and they would give 110%, even though they most likely would be destroyed on the field. But they would do it. Like you only have to watch like the tryout part of Invincible about the Vince Papali movie. Right, just watch that tryout part. That's Philadelphia, man. It's like, I don't care. I'll wear a cape on the field and I'll get crushed. But I'm going to do it because I want to be on this team. And so even if they don't have an ounce of skill, but they put everything out on the field and leave it there, they'll never have to pay for another meal in this town. TJ McConnell, classic sixer, guaranteed. 
You probably, some of you probably never even heard of him. But he is huge in the hearts of Philadelphians because he gave everything. T.J. McConnell, I guarantee, shows up to a restaurant downtown, doesn't pay for that meal. Doesn't. The Philadelphia fans may be spectators, but if any one of them got the call, they get into the game. Church planting, like I said, takes about 10 years to finally take off. Is not for spectators. And I want you to hear that from me. It's not. It's not. It's for people who are willing to get in the game. But to do that, you've got to give up your excuses. I have to give up my excuses and get ourselves out of the seats and join in. Too many of us have excuses for not joining in with what Jesus is doing here. I'm tired. Yeah, welcome to the club. I've been tired since I've had kids. I'm too broken. Welcome to the club. We're all broken here. I'm not skilled enough. I don't want to jump in too fast. I'm not ready to step into a leadership role. I don't want to give up my flexibility by having to serve a couple Sundays a month. So we hold back. But disciples had a number of excuses before them, yet when Jesus called them and commanded them, he was enough. Because it wasn't about them, it was about him. It was about his command, his promise, and his result, as we'll talk about in a moment. And listen to me, though. There are seasons where you need to pull back. But they have to be limited to seasons. It can't be your life. Because ultimately, Jesus calls all of us to follow him and experience the promises of transformation. If we hold back, we're saying, Jesus, you're not enough. All this stuff will always be enough for me. Everything, all my plans and my future and my hope, those will always be planned. That will always be enough for me. All my flexibility and freedom, that will be enough for me. But Jesus, you're not enough for me to do what you're asking me to do. So let me ask you again, is Jesus enough for you? Is he enough to turn your life upside down, to leave everything behind, to follow him? Is he enough to stop making excuses when, when you get the call, put the helmet on and get in the game? Jesus promised great things for those who leave everything to follow him. Peter at one point goes, hey, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. In Matthew 19, Jesus says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. See, when Jesus commands us to follow him and we hold back, we never experience the promise of being transformed by him. So we don't get the result. But if we hold back, if honestly, if we're holding back, that's on us. It's not on him. It's on us. So you can say, well, I'm holding back for this reason, that reason, that, this reason. Sure, if that's a season, great. Go ahead and do that. But if there's no season that you're going through that we need to work through, first off, if you're going through that season, you should definitely talk to somebody. Talk to an elder, talk to a pastor, and we should work through that season with you. But if it's not a season and you're holding back, that's on you. If I'm doing that, that's on me. That's not on him. Look, I know some of you have been hurt relationally. But if you're holding back from community, that's not on Jesus. That's on you. That's on me when I do that. Been hurt. Been really, really hurt relationally. 
And when I hold back from community, from being vulnerable with somebody, the gathering with them and letting them know my story, that's on me. And I'm not doing what Jesus asked me to do. When I hear a call and I feel Jesus tugging my heart and say, hey, I want you to be part of Grow ESL, and I go, you know what? That's not for me. I know, Jesus, I hear you calling me, but mm, no, that's on me. That's on me. I don't want to be stuck up with Liberty Kids. Oh, gosh. They're loud. You know, they're crazy. How dare they be full of energy when I'm exhausted? That's on me. That's not on Jesus. It's not on those kids. We need to get into the game. And if Jesus commanded me to follow him, and I need, I need to obey the command. No matter how broken I am, to experience his promise of transformation so that he can make me a fisher of men. And that's the result of the command and the promises. Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. The result of Jesus' command and promise is that he'll make us fishers of men. I've gone fishing twice this summer, which is two times the amount I've gone any other summer in my lifetime. Usually just one time, but I've gone twice. It's out of my comfort zone. It's messy. Like, I'm a first child. I can be a little type A, and I don't really like, like you know, touching worms and getting my, that dirt underneath my fingernails and all that stuff. And it, and it requires patience, which also is not like a gift of mine at all. And sometimes you don't catch anything. Like, this is actually a thing. You go fishing and catch nothing. It feels like a huge waste of time to me. And I particularly just, like, don't see the appeal. But my boys like it. So I took them. They love it, in fact. My son, actually, like, he had listed his hobbies for school. And he said, fishing. I was like, We've, you've gone twice in your life. But he loves it. And Peter, James, and John do it for... And Andrew do it for a living. So when Jesus comes, he commands them to follow him. He promises to make them what he wants them to be and to transform them into fishers of, from fishers of fish to fishers of men. To be people who spread the gospel and tell people about Jesus. But like I said, fishing doesn't appeal to me, so that call to be fishers of men may not appeal to you either. And what's the result? though? Well, ultimately, Jesus calling me to become is become a disciple who makes disciples. And notice something real quick of that verse. Jesus doesn't call them to a passive role. You're not a fisher. You're not a fisherman if you stay on the beach. You got to get in the boat or on the dock and throw the line out. It's an active role. And as active disciples of Jesus, we need to be actively making disciples of Jesus. Because the fish eventually become the fishers. And Jesus uses fishers of men to hook, or has used fishers of men to hook us fish. And those of us who were once fish now become fishers of men. Ourselves. Disciples must make disciples. And if we're not, we're either being disobedient or we fooled ourselves into thinking we're in the boat when we're actually swimming in the lake. Making disciples is going to be out of our comfort zone. It may not appeal to us, yet we obey the command and we experience the promise and we become the result. And Jesus isn't asking us to do anything he hasn't already done himself. 
Jesus could have had any excuse in the book, guys. And he could have held back. He could have remained in heaven with the Father. And he, or he could have come and went to Caesar. Like, that's a faster track to spreading the gospel. Get Caesar to force people to be Christians? That, that'd be awesome. Be quick. Everybody becomes Christians when they're faced with death. But Jesus doesn't do it that way. Instead, he goes to fishermen. Would it be the way I did it? Would do it? But thankfully for all of you, I'm not Jesus. And he called fishermen, broken people, to reach broken people. To, he made them disciples so they would make disciples to make fish become fishers. And he died and he rose again for the fish so that we can be free despite our unwillingness and all excuses or our brokenness. And he makes us into fishers of men to love our world through evangelism and discipleship, which the best way to do that, we believe, is to plant a church. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, you've been caught. And Jesus promises when he catches you, he's not going to throw you back into the lake. Instead, he transforms the fish into fishers. And like he did 2,000 years ago. Because fishers became fishers who made fish, who caught fish, who made fishers. Over and over again, disciples making disciples who make this turn around and make more disciples. Liberty Northeast can be here today because they did that. And people before us did that. And because we're here today ultimately because a core group of fish where at some point they became fishers in their own lives and they decided we want to fish for more people. And they responded to Jesus' command to follow him into the world and trusted his promise to make them into what he wanted them to be. And we here desire to live out of that result with the hope that the fish who are caught by this church plant will turn around and go fishing themselves. Church planting is fishing. The building is our dock, and it's the place we're sent out from. Sundays is when we come and we gather supplies and we learn how to be disciples. And from, from where we were there, we're sent out into the world with the Holy Spirit into our boats to go fishing for others. And as we broken fishers are out there on the lakes of life, we cast out our nets, we toss out our lines, and Jesus reels them in. Which is why when Romans 9, when Paul talks about election, he says this, he says, so it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. God does it. God brings people in. And this is why Jesus has to be enough for us, guys. Church planning is often uncomfortable. It's messy. It requires patience. It sometimes feels like a waste of time. It may not be always appealing. And a lot of times it's frustrating because as Doug Logan, a pastor who used to be a pastor in Camden, once said, fish don't want to get caught. So it can be frustrating. So Jesus must be enough for us because there's going to be a lot of times you're going to go out on the lake and nothing's going to happen. But we got to get fishing. Some of us need to start fishing on the docks by serving on Sundays. Some of us need to step up and get into the game, fill out one of the connect, the connect cards and say you'd like to serve. Upstairs right now in Liberty Kids are a bunch of fish who need to be fished. We can't assume that any of them are going to become fishers if we're not willing to go up in the lake 
and fish them and fish for their hearts and sit with them and let them know they're loved by Jesus and that he cares about them and tell them the gospel. I know it's not the most glamorous job and I know sometimes you're going to get dirt under your fingernails. It happens. And hopefully nobody's bringing worms, but maybe there's gummy worms up there at least. But jump in or join the setup team, not the most glamorous job. Or jump in with the greeting team and make sure the fish that come feel welcomed and cared for and like the place isn't falling apart. Or talk to David so the fish can hear the music and you can be part of the sound or can read the slides. And then we all have to fish out in the world. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Put our excuses aside and share the good news, but remember, Jesus reels them in. So just respond to the command and let him do the rest. Today, if, as you leave, you can grab invite cards. I challenge you to grab an invite card. That can be your hook. But pray and work with us so we can set up more docks in our world. We need more fish to become fishers so we can plant more churches, and that's exactly why we have somebody like Kyle here. It's because we hope to plant more churches. But we need more fish to plant churches. There are some ways you can fish that I just mentioned there. But commit today to at least one or two ways that you're going to be more of a fisher. Help out Liberty Kids. Think who you're going to invite with that invite card. Whatever it is. But you've got to go fishing. Because church planning is fishing. So whether for the first or the 1,000th time, hear the command of Jesus. Follow me. Follow Jesus into the world by helping us plant churches. Put our excuses aside. Give your brokenness over to him to be used by him and step up and step into the game. And watch his promise. I will make you, and the result, fishers of men, as he makes you into what he wants you to be so that we together can make disciples who make disciples by planting a church in Northeast Philly at the corner of Byberry and Barnaby. Let's pray.